Heavenly Father, I just want to praise your holy name for the opportunity to come again before your presence and ask and plead and yet thank you at the same time that you are here. That your presence is here and you invite us to call upon your name. And you love to bless us with your greatest blessing, even more than mothers and fathers love to give good gifts to their children. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus living his life in and through us. And we pray, Lord, that you will instruct us that the words that are spoken may not be the words that are heard, but what is heard is your voice. And so now, Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. And then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of your face is my prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So, I have this thing that I really like to say. <laughs> it's on the next slide. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. <laughs> because, you know, it's a blessing to have gifts and talents, and everyone is born with gifts and talents from God. Every one of you here reflect a picture of God's grace and who Jesus is in a way that is unique only to you. And sometimes we like to almost pretend or think that we're not as gifted or as bright or as whatever equipped as maybe the next person to do what God calls us to do. But it's not true. Every one of us is anointed and ordained to reflect Jesus. And I love that because... He chose us. Remember, we talked about out of all those options that were swimming around that egg, <laughs> God chose you. He chose me to be here at such a time as this. And I love that. But at the same time, we often say to ourselves, do I have to do this another year? You know, maybe you've been a Sabbath school teacher or a youth teacher or maybe an adult instructor or teacher, pathfinders or a teacher at a school. And you're like, I have done my duty. I've done my part. I've done my years. It's time for someone else to take over. And so sometimes it's tempting to look around and say, Lord, who else? But, you know, it reminds me of this. I love to sing. I love to sing in a trio. That's my favorite. Or a duet. That's really nice. But I don't really like to sing um, solos. And I really don't like to sing solos, mostly because I look around, there's so many other people who sound so much better. But then I think to myself, if everyone did that, nobody would sing, right? And so God has given us gifts and talents, and it does not matter if your voice stutters or if you are smooth when you speak. It's really what the Holy Spirit, when he shows up, it really matters not. He can shine through any instrument that's willing. Isn't that wonderful? And so that is why we're even told in the very end that those leaders that God will raise up to finish the work will be oftentimes unlearned, people that aren't of great talent, but you know what? They are plugged into the ultimate source of power. And that's why each one of us have a calling on our life. So... Just because I can doesn't mean I should. That means when the nominating committee calls you and you know they've prayerfully asked if uh, you would do a job, I think it's important to pray about it, don't you? Um, and I, it's a lot of the time, most of the time, the Lord tells me to do it. 
<laughs> Even so, sometimes I don't want to. But I love to know that the nominating committee is really prayerfully considering. Now, I've been in churches where it wasn't that way. They went down the list. Oh, yeah, they can do this, or he can do that, or she can do that. But really and truly, I love it when in most churches we've been to, they get on their knees and they plead for the Lord to um, put the right person in the right position. But my husband reminds me that God does want us to have healthy boundaries, too. And he wants us to allow him to take good care of us. And if we don't really take good care of ourselves, we're not any good to ourselves or anybody else, right? So it's important not to do a lot of things halfway, but probably to do maybe a fewer things really well. And so praying, Lord, how shall I prioritize? And that's where you can be really surprised. Sometimes the things that God um, calls you to prioritize are not things you would have necessarily thought humanly were the priority. But I love to be about God's errands because that's when it really works like uh, so smoothly. So there's that match. Do you see that that's a match over there? Isn't that a cute little thing? It says, I'm burned out, and it shows the match's little mouth, and it's pretty much, do you ever feel that way? <laughs> kind of like, okay, my wick is really short, and it's all burned out. What are we going to do? That's right. The Lord tells us not. You know, but my husband tells me, that's what I, I didn't finish. He'll say, honey, when you're asked to come do a women's uh, thing or to speak, will you please run it through me? Because you say yes too much, and then you're stressed, and I see you being very tired. This was a couple years ago, and I said, I tell you what, honey, I will do that. But will you promise me you'll pray first before you answer? And he said, yes, I will give it thought and prayer. And he has been right on. He'll say, honey, I really feel impressed you shouldn't do that one. I'll say, okay. And I say no. Now, I have to be honest. I've been married 36 years in August, 35 years. I would do it all over again. He's wonderful. But for most of our marriage, I've definitely thought that I knew better. <laughs> just being honest. I just figured, you know, I had a lot of reasons for why my way was the best way. But you know, the older I get, the more I appreciate the wisdom God has given our house band. <laughs> and I'm allowing him to lead more, and it's a lot better. <laughs> That's a little confession for the soul. So Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And let us not grow weary while good, doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Are you ever tempted to lose heart? Do you get criticized sometimes? Do you sometimes have people look at you and they try to give you advice and you feel like saying, why don't you take over, right? There are times that we can be critical of one another and have a very good opinion of what the other person should do. But I think if we just prayed for each other and encouraged each other more, it would be better. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are in the household of faith. I really like that scripture because so many times I feel more gratified when I'm doing things for people not of the household of faith. So maybe the people of the household of faith, they're easier to kind of overlook. Does that make sense? I mean, it's way more exciting to give a Bible study to a heathen than to help somebody in the church who needs a little help, right? Maybe it's just me, but anyway. So I thought that that was very interesting. God wants us to take really good care of each other in our church, doesn't he? Because that's our family. I want to tell you something. We have a wonderful women's ministries leader in our church, and she is just on fire for the Lord. Just recently really um, came back strong into the church, 
And she got up the other day in our women's ministries um, meeting, and she had a beautiful copy on on kind of a cardboard type stock, cardstock, and it was um, 1 Corinthians 13, and it was in the New Living Translation. It was beautifully, beautifully read and very simple. And she said, I have been reading this every day before I get up and start my day because I say, These, this is my family. And then she'll read 1 Corinthians 13. And she said, the way that I treat my husband and the way that I treat my son has dramatically been influenced by the scripture. Now, she said, there's some of you and some of your husbands that I certainly don't always see eye to eye with. And she said, I read that before I go to church. And I walk into the sanctuary and I say, this is my family. These are my people. These are the people that I'm to love. She said, it is changing the way I see each of us. Isn't that wonderful? And it really kind of went around with what the pastor was saying at the earlier part of the week, how that we need to really make sure that we recognize that we're each other's family and to really take that seriously. And so I just want to challenge you. You might want to run with that. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. We're told in the spirit of prophecy we would do well to read it every day. And then apply that not only to your media family, but apply it to your church family and see what happens to you. It is magnificent. So that's a wonderful thing. So when we're heavy, when we're weary and heavy laden, we need to remember the Bible does admonish us to do great works, to do good works for one another. But we're going to learn as we go on in this presentation that God does not ask us to do it on our own strength. And I think that's where we can become really tired, for sure. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I shared the other day that there are many times when I have a 10, 12-hour day at work. I have meetings back-to-back. I dread the day because I'm like, how am I going to make all this? And God will just arrange it so a meeting gets switched or canceled or something happens. And I find as I commit my day to him that he takes really good care of me. So a lot of my life, especially as a pastor's wife and being so busy, I would always kind of guard my Sundays. That was my day of rest. Now, Sabbath is my day of spiritual rest. That's when we rest on the merits of Jesus and not our own. But not physically. (laughs) But on Sunday, that was my day to iron, to get a lot of extra chores done, to cook for the week, to get everything done. And I began to resent it a little bit when other things would encroach on my Sundays, like um, school constituency meetings or, you know, whatever comes up. And it just takes a chunk out of my day, right? And then the Lord impressed me. You know, Tammy, the Bible actually says that God gives us one day to rest and six days to work. And I thought, there's a novel idea. And he said, you know, just trust me to take care of you and then be willing to do those things that come up. And you know, I have found that he's taken really good care of me, and then I don't tend to resent things that encroach on that day. So I'm trusting more and more, isn't that amazing after all these years, that God actually does take care of us physically here as well. I love, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I was thinking about Peter. You know, we really pick on poor Peter but he was the only one brave enough to get out of the boat, I heard a pastor say recently. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought that's really true. 
when I'm walking and keeping my eyes on Jesus, I do have supernatural power. Amen? Amen. But when I take my eyes off of him, that's really do, that is really when I sink and get overly tired and weary. That's right. He still reached out and, and saved him even though he took his eyes off of him, right? Amen. Don't you love that? I've, I've sunk there like Peter at least a million times and Jesus keeps <laughs> pulling me back up. Hallelujah. So I think the question to ourselves is, who is working? When I'm really tired, who is it? Whose energy am I drawing from, from when I'm, I'm burned out? For it is God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the will to do what is right comes from God. Every impulse to do right comes from our Savior. So that's encouraging, because if you think back in a whole day, how many impulses to do right do you have? Quite a few. That's encouraging. That means the Holy Spirit's at work, right? So it is God who works in us both to will it and to do it. So it's not only a principle, but it's an action word as well. But I want us to remember this, and this, this quote is going to come up again, this scripture, a little later. But I wonder if we have an identity crisis in our church and in our own lives. Because listen to the scripture. By the anointing which you have received from who? From him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. To me, that is like a blank check. Jesus is saying, I anointed you and I am the anointed. I've anointed you to work and to shine and to glow for me. I'm going to give you all wisdom. You don't need someone to tell you how to shine. You just need me and my word. And as you spend time with me, you are automatically going to shine. Amen? We are anointed. Do you see yourself as anointed? What will it take for you to see yourself as an anointed person? Now, don't let your mind go to perfection, because that's not from you either. So then what does it take? Simple faith in the Word of God, in the naked promise right here that you have been anointed. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, He anointed you with the Holy Spirit to give you the power and the wisdom to do what He's called you to do. Hallelujah. That's exciting. All right, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author. What does that mean, the author? The originator, the author, the one who revealed himself to us in the first place, and the finisher, what scripture comes to your mind? That's right, James 1.6. No, sorry, Philippians. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, that he who has begun a good work in you will finish it. Hallelujah. So the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I was just reading in Desire of Ages where Satan's whole plan was to frustrate the grace of Christ. That just before Jesus came, the world had sunk into the most deplorable condition, and the church was totally off base and serving Satan. His own church. 
saw what was righteous that wasn't righteous, putting all these burdens on the people, pretty much wanting self-worship, the leaders were. So the world was at a crossroads when Jesus came. And it, it says, it indicates that the father trembled that his only son should come and expose himself to this. And Jesus, it says, we would have been an affront enough for him to take the, the um, posture of Adam before the fall. But he took upon himself human nature after those years of degradation and the inheritance of the lineage of his, of his human race. Jesus took all that upon him. Can you imagine what a cup trembled in the balance? And yet the Father had that much love for us that he could not, did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost? That blows my mind. If I were him and I were me, I'd have just erased it all and started over. But hallelujah, he didn't. I'm so glad. So this picture in the lower right-hand corner just shows that we have angelic hosts about us. Each one of us has a holy angel that attends our steps. And when we cry out for help, if Satan is especially harassing us, reinforcements are sent. If our eyes could be open, the third dimension would come into view and we would be astounded. And I believe we would be fearless because we could see that we are protected, anointed, ordained, and we are led and we are chosen. And that third dimension is more real, we are told, than that which we can touch and see and feel. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So I want to live more into that third dimension. I want to breathe the atmosphere of heaven. I want to imagine with holy imagination, holy beings that excel in strength surrounding me. And then I want to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do nothing that would cause those beings to have to turn their heads away. Amen? That's what I want. And Jesus endured the cross. So we need to keep running and ask Jesus for a second and third breath or, you know, how it is, a second wind. That's it. <laughs> All right. All right. So this was a slide I showed, I think, last um, Wednesday. And that is, however lowly any work done for God in a full surrender of self is, it's ex is as acceptable to him as the highest service. No offering is what? Small. That is given with true heartedness and gladness of soul. It is not the length of time that we labor, but our willingness and fidelity in the work that makes it acceptable to God in all of our service as full surrender of self is demanded. The smallest duty done in sincerity and self-forgetfulness is more pleasing to God than the greatest work when marred with self-seeking. He regards more the love and faithfulness with which we work than the amount we do. And you know what comes to mind? Is the widow who gave those little mites. And he said, she's given more than anybody because she gave from her heart. And did she do it proudly? No, she shuffled in and quickly cast them in and got away so that she wouldn't be seen. But she gave all she had. And it wasn't even the all she had, but she gave it with a sincere heart of love and devotion to the Savior. And in every age, God has had his faithful ones, and he did then too. He had his faithful people. But they were not in the upper echelons of the church, were they? All right. I love the quotation that all God's biddings are enablings. That means everything that says thou shalt or you shall do this, those are all promises we can claim. 
So if you find as you're reading the scripture that it cuts across a sinful area of your life, you can claim that promise as a promise for victory. Isn't that wonderful? That means instead of 7,573 promises, there are actually way more because all the God's biddings are enablings. So I love this. We may safely say that the distinctive duties of women are more sacred, more holy than those of men. Have you ever seen that quote? Is that pretty shocking? By the way, this is in reference, the above statement is about mothers. It's about those who are rearing children, those who are teaching children. That can be Sabbath school teachers, school teachers, mothers in Israel who maybe never birthed a child, but we mother many when we're in the church of God. Amen? So we may safely say the distinctive duties of women are more sacred and more holy than those of men. Let women realize the sacredness of her work and in the strength and fear of God, take up her life mission. Someone once asked me, they said, you know, you're a gifted speaker. Do you want to be ordained? What do you think about women's ordination? I said, but I am ordained. All of us are ordained. We're anointed. They said, no, 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 no. But to be recognized by the church. I said, well, I am recognized by the church that God has given me a gift and a talent to use for them. And they said, no, 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 no. And I said, don't you see? The work of a woman is a sacred. It's the highest sacred calling there is. I have no need of man to lay their hands on me other than to go according to the scripture. I need only to walk in the path that God has led for me as an anointed follower of Christ. And I am anointed. Jesus is pleased when we take up our duties with gratitude, rejoicing that we are accounted worthy to be co-laborers with him. You know, sometimes it's not very romantic, some of the work that we do in the church, in the community, or for the Lord. It's always not necessarily anything that just gives us that warm and fuzzy feeling. But if our eyes could be opened and we see that we're yoked up with Christ and we are making his heart so happy, it will be worth it all. And when we get to heaven, how many times will Jesus say, Oh, Tammy, thank you so much for taking the time to come and visit me. Lord, when did I do that? Tammy, thank you so much for sharing your coat. You may not have known it, but I didn't have a coat. And, and you felt impressed to share your coat. And I had that wonderful winter coat. Lord, when did I do that? As you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. There is no lowly, sacrificial work that we can do that is any lower than what Jesus did for us. And there is nothing more beautiful than doing a selfless work for God and having that well done. Amen? I don't even know why he would say well done, but I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing. So working for our master and our friend. When our children and our youth watch us working for Jesus, do they see us as happy? Or are we too burdened and frenetic and, and stressed to show that happy countenance? I dare say that I have seen families where children grow up and I've been very concerned because their parents, their mothers did not do a very good job at teaching them to work. It seemed like the mother did all the work and kind of let the children off the hook. Now I get it. I remember when Kristen wanted to wash dishes, I would just assume she didn't. It was more of a mess. But I thought if I don't let her wash dishes now and make a mess, She's not going to want to do it when she's 12, right? Well, she didn't anyway, but you know what I mean. So, and if I don't let her cook, I remember her standing on a chair 
just being a little four-year-old and wanting to make this banana bread all by herself, and she did. You know, and how important it is that we allow our children to help us do chores and help us do that work. But I have seen children grow up in homes where their parents worked hard, and they've worked hard because they watched their parents, and, they, and what they saw actually made more of an impression. And isn't that wonderful? I still think the children ought to work. But you know what I mean? It's really like a sermon in shoes is the most important thing if you're going to weigh things out. And I want our young people to see us enthusiastic and happy about the work that we're doing for the Lord. And then the more we can draw them in to be helpful, the better. Did you know in our primary class, we have children that are taking day by day, one of the days, and they study during the week because they present that day. Isn't that great? That's in our primary class. It's really challenged some of the children that struggle with reading to read to their parents and read it and read it over and over again and be prepared. It's been a real blessing to them scholastically, but also they come prepared to share. And the Sabbath school teacher says, now be sure that you want to ask questions and you want to have answers and you want to really prepare. And those children are taking it so seriously. Isn't that wonderful? And so the teachers are just moderating. They're just there to, to encourage and to help and to bless, but the children are teaching the class. What a great experience. So that's one idea. But I want, I want working for the master to be something that really looks attractive. And you know what? We are told that Jesus intends that the work that we do for him would be more of a pleasure than a burden. Amen. Did you know that? There's a beautiful quote. It says, God did not ever mean for it all to be self-sacrifice and toil, that he wants his work to be attractive and fun and exciting and rewarding. Amen? So that's a wonderful thing. So I love this quote. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's really something that I share a lot when I teach um, in my classes to physicians and to nurses on how to present themselves when doing care. Because, you know, a patient just longs more than anything to be heard. Just listen to me. Don't just jump to conclusions, look at your chart notes, and just assume you know what to do for me. Please hear my story. Please hear what's going on with me. Please look at me in the eye. Please at least act like you care, right? <laughs> Truly. And it makes all the difference is how you present the care in which you give. So I'll give you an example. Well, I have gone to physicians before where at the very end of the time when they've already taken care of me and all done whatever they do, and they're getting ready to leave and they say, do you have any questions? And I always feel like it's like this. If I'm a really good patient, I'll say, no, I'm good. Because it's like a parting comment. Out the door they go. But you know, that's not what my doctor does. She pulls up a chair. She sits down knee to knee with me and she says, so Tammy, what are the questions you have for me today? What, are, what do you want to talk about? What's going on with you? Isn't that great? I find myself just spilling my guts because it's like, wow, she doesn't act like she's in a hurry. She, um, it's obvious by the way she phrased the question instead of, do you have questions? What are the questions? That she's prepared to answer my questions and that she truly cares about what I might think or what I might want to say. It's the same way with our children. It's the same way with the adults that we serve. Do we take the time to look them in the eye? to stop our rushing around and just spend a moment and really care when someone wants to talk to us. 
Those are the ways that I believe Jesus ministered to people. He took the time. It didn't matter to him what socioeconomic status the person was or how educated they were. He had a caring heart for every single soul. And sometimes I have to remind myself, because subconsciously human beings can be very guilty of catering more to the pretty people, quote unquote, not necessarily physically, but maybe they're economically successful or they have a good job or whatever, and maybe not as being too intuitive or caring to the person who maybe doesn't stimulate us personally as a friend. Do you see? So we have to be careful. Jesus was no respecter of persons. So what is your body language saying? Do you have an inviting atmosphere around you or in your classroom? Do children love, they can't wait to get to your class? Do, do adults enjoy being in your presence because they truly feel cared about? I believe those are Holy Spirit attributes. So the more we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, the more we truly are going to care about people sincerely. Not just because professionally we need to do it so they'll come back to our hospital, right? But also so that church and Sabbath school will be one of their favorite places. So people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I used to work with a nurse, and he was, you know, he was a guy that I, I was the director of all the inpatient departments, and he was very sincere and anxious to do everything correctly, but he got a little ahead of himself, and I was always trying to coach him on some of his skills. He was a little scary sometimes, but you know what? He could connect with his patients. Every month I received numerous letters from his patients saying how wonderful he was. And I thought, if they only knew, not really, but, <laughs> but I thought really and truly as far as skill level, he wasn't my highest skilled nurse. But did he ever care about people? And that's what made the difference. Then I had another nurse. Oh, she was fabulous. In fact, if any of my family came into the hospital, I would definitely want her to be my ICU nurse. But you know what? She was the ice queen. Now, she wasn't unfriendly or rude. She was just very stoic. She was very businesslike. She was very professional. She dotted her I's and crossed her T's, and she was very accurate. I would definitely trust her with my life. But you know, she hardly ever got raves. If anything, people thought she was stuck up. And she wasn't at all. She just was not a warm, fuzzy person. So we can't all be huggy-kissy and warm and whatever. I, that's kind of who I am. We're not all that way, right? In fact, when my husband and I go to a new church, I usually say, now I'm a hugger. So if that's not you, you just hold out your hand and I'll know when you go through line that you're not one. I had one lady do this. <laughs> and so I really marked it down and I smiled at her and I said, I'll remember that. And I tried to be really respectful about that. By the way, she hugs me down. But anyway, it was really funny. But um, you know, it's the same way when we care for children and for people. We're, we can't all be the same, shouldn't, and we shouldn't be. That would be scary. But at the same time, God has given us a sphere of influence that can be welcoming in our own way and warm. Okay, so I just really wanted this slide. Again, I wanted to reiterate that. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie. It's almost like a P.S. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him, which is Christ. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, 
and you know all things. That means within us is all wisdom when the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Hallelujah. When you don't know what kind of a situation, what you're going to do in a certain situation, what you're going to do with a temperament of a person, an adult or a child, that you don't know what in the world to do with them, you can ask the Holy Spirit. He will give you wisdom for that child or for that adult. He will help you to know what to do. And you may not even know it until the moment you walk in. He will help you. You know, I remember being a young pastor's wife in our first district was in a farming community in Oklahoma. And um, it was just really fun to be a part of that church. And it was all these farmers would come to church. And I'll never forget this first Sabbath. My husband and I were newlyweds. We showed up at church. And the, the farmer that was the head elder, he met me at the door and he had his hat off. And he was standing there as long. He's very tall and thin with big suspenders on. And, and he looked at me and he said, well, Mrs. Milligan, we are truly hoping that you have the talent of playing the piano. We have not had a pianist in this church for years. And I looked at him, and I did play the piano. I played by ear, but honey, it wasn't always in a key you could reach. <laughs> and so uh, he said, can you play for us? And I said, well, I'll do my best. So after those poor souls were way up there trying to reach, and way down here trying to reach the notes, I just kind of looked mortified, but they were so happy. They were so grateful. So I lived in, we lived in a little mobile home park a mile from the church, and I would walk down to the church every evening because I was in nursing school, and I'd let myself in, and I would practice the, the piano. Pretty soon I had five songs I could play in a key they could sing them in, and I'd pray, and pretty soon I had ten. By the time we left that church, I don't know how many I had, but I could play most of them in a key that they could sing, and it was wonderful. There was not the talent in the church. So I prayed, did my humble, poor little pathetic part, and God increased my talent. And now I can play pretty much anything. And it was a God thing. So if you find yourself called or in a position where you really feel that you are not equipped, just remember that backpack you carry on your back with all your tools, God can put in as many tools in there as he needs to. And you can ask him for those. And he will help you for sure. So that was a wonderful experience. And this is actually my ending slide. And you're going to say, wow, we're early, but I have a plan. And it's this, anointed, empowered, and enlightened to serve. And I believe Jesus is an extending an invitation to us today. Are you willing to keep going? And if not, if you are really weary and you'd like someone else, and start praying for the next anointed person and ask that the Lord will bring them at just the right time and that they will feel the calling on their life, that they will know the calling of their life. I like that better than feel because those come and go, right? But they will know that God has called them and that they will step up and you might be surprised. The other thing I want to challenge you to do is get your children more involved. Have them come prepared to teach. Have them come prepared to do some of those things. Get the adults more involved. And you might be surprised some of the timid, more shy people will be willing to do things if they're only given an opportunity. Because sometimes we become lazy, you know, and, um, and we just kind of sit out of sight, out of mind. But I believe God has called us all, and he will equip us to do what needs to be done in the church. He will help us. And remember, it really is a blessing. It really is a blessing to yoke up with Christ. So I wanted to allow some time for questions and answers and also for testimonies because I don't have any uh, wisdom of myself, so it's not like that, but I would love to give you some illustrations that I might know, but maybe you would like to share with the group.
You know, when I was a little girl, we moved from California, from um, Sacramento. If you've ever been to Sacramento, California, all those beautiful rock walls that are around the church and through the courtyards, my father um, actually laid that brick. And so we went to the big Sacramento church. But my dad, he, he made really good money as a contractor, but his heart was in logging because he grew up with his daddy in the woods. And so we moved back to Idaho. And I remember my going into a primary, and the lady who taught primary was really old. Now, I'm guessing she was probably in her late 70s then, but um, she was there through the next however many years, 15, 20 years, um, that I was there. She had long, long hair, probably past her knees, I think she told us once. But she braided it, and it was in a crown around her head. And I'll never forget her as long as I lived. She was so soft and quiet, and her face just glowed Jesus, but she loved us. And that's what I remember. I don't remember her lesson plans. I don't remember if she sang on key or off. I don't really remember any of that. I just remember she loved me. And that when I, Orfino, Idaho, and when I would walk in the door, I always felt like she was waiting just for me. And I loved that. I think I teach my doctors and nurses that you make a connection, not a relationship, but a connection with a person in 30 to 50 seconds, that first initial interaction, that eye contact, that smile. And like I mentioned before, you know, you've gone to places where people hardly look up, where they look up from their desk, can I help you? And you can tell you're an interruption in their day. So can children. And I just loved the way she welcomed each one of us so warmly. Her name was Mrs. Cobb, C-O-B-B. She lived in a little, she and her, very elderly husband, they've died in their late, late 90s, um, lived in a little cabin on the creek about 10 miles down the creek from us. And um, they were just lovely little people who lived for a long time. But she was at my wedding. And when she came to my wedding, she gave me the china that she had received at her wedding. And she apologized that there were only five plates instead of six. And I remember my father teased her and asked her if she threw one of them at Mr. Cobb. <laughs> but anyway, I still have that set of china. And it was very, very lovely of her and very, just extremely generous of her to give me such a namesake, such an heirloom. But I loved Mrs. Cobb. And I just think that we do not know the impression or the influence that we leave on the young people and the older people um, in our churches, in our communities, just by being fully present when we do have interactions with people. Any? Yes, it is encouraging. You know, speaking of children, um, we stand in line uh, at the lunch line, and um, these three little children were misbehaving on the first day. I think it was Monday. And so I told them a story. Have you ever heard... And the mother said something about her daughter loves parrots. Do you remember the old um, story about the parrot and the little old lady who had the parrot and she needed to give it away and three little girls wanted it? And so they all had to take the parrot home and teach it to say good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Well, they also learned other things, you know, like the mother would call and the parrot would say, don't bother me. So the little lady knew that the parrot had learned some things it shouldn't have, 
But then the one little girl, when she called, like the mother of the parrot, said, Coming, mother! <laughs> I think it was coming grandma, because she lived with her grandma. But anyway, she got the parrot. So I was telling the children this story. Well, the next day, they had recruited. So then I had about five or six little children. They were like, tell the story about the parrot. So I told it over. And the next day, tell the story. I said, how about another one? So we told another one. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was really fa fascinating. Little children love stories. They do. And so what I would like to do is I would like to end with a story. This story that I'm going to tell you is a story that I hope you will tell your children in your Sabbath school classes. Because to me, it has a huge impact on how God thinks outside any box. And he can answer prayers in ways you could never, ever even imagine. And that's important. It's important for all of you to know, and it's important for children to know. But when I was a little girl, we had a dog by the name of Milady, And Milady was a big St. Bernard. She was huge. And you know, St. Bernard's, they don't move real fast but she could chase a coyote and send it end over end because once she got going, she was like a freight train and she was pretty quick. So she was amazing, we loved her. And her favorite food, her favorite treat in all the world was canned peaches. So at the end of breakfast, if there was a peach left over, a peach half, my mom would put it in Milady's dish and oh, she loved canned peaches. But you know what Milady wanted more than anything else in the whole, whole world was to be a mama. And so every time a daddy dog visited, she would beg. She would do everything possible to have a baby. And we even set it up so we could find another St. Bernard or another, you know, dog that maybe she could get pregnant, but she wanted a baby so bad. You know how we knew? Every time our cat had kittens, she would just cry and whine and want to take one. And then also her behavior when other dogs would come around. It was obvious she wanted babies. So we began to pray. Mama, can, why can't Milady have babies? She would say, you just need to pray. Pray that Jesus will help babies to grow in her tummy. So that's what we did. We prayed for months. Mom, keep praying, she would say. Well, one day we were walking home from school, and um, we heard a noise, and there in the bushes was a mutt that had been dropped off by the side of the road out in the country. And my sister Robin said, oh, we cannot leave this dog here. We have to take it home. I said, Dad won't be happy. She said, well, we can't leave it here to starve. So we took the dog home with us because we walked home from school. And when my dad got home, you, I was right. He wasn't happy because guess what? She was very, very, very pregnant. And he said, why do not, we do not need another dog? We have seven children. We need to feed children, not dogs. My sister Robin said, when the puppies are born, Daddy, I promise I'll find homes for them. And so it wasn't very many days, and this dog gave birth to one puppy, two puppies, and Milady was right there, watching and whining and trying to help. I mean, it was amazing. She was just, and three and four and five little puppies. That mother hadn't even given birth to the fifth one when Milady picked one up and took it over to her side of the porch in her bed. And then she went and got another one. And that poor mother, after finally giving birth to her fifth, she got up very tiredly and took her babies back. And Milady was huge, and this mutt was small. And Milady would get down on her tummy and drag herself over there very submissively, whining and talking to that mother and take a baby.
and take it back over to the porch, her side. And that mother dog, after a while, my lady was kind of piling them up. She'd go get them. <laughs> By the next morning, my lady had two puppies, and the mama had three puppies. And my lady's milk came in, and she nursed those babies, and they never got confused. The two belonged to my lady, and the other three belonged to the mother. And my father kept that mutt who had three more litters and always gave my lady two puppies. <laughs> and so God answers prayer in the most unusual way. And that was those, the most beloved dog. And I will tell you, it does not matter how impossible a situation is. There is nothing impossible with God. And there is no child that is impossible with God. And sometimes the child that looks the least likely to, serve, to even amount to anything will be the one that God anoints. And they will remember you for being kind to them even when they were a pain. <laughs> and that is so true. So I just want to encourage you all, you are doing the sacred work that God has called you to do, especially if you're working with children. And only in eternity will you know and my prayer for you and for me is that we will have at least one person who, like that beautiful quote said, will fall upon your neck and cry and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. That is the most beautiful quote I've ever read. And that's what I want more than anything, is that God would use each one of us to just shine his love in such a way where there can be people in heaven that wouldn't be there if we had not been willing to be a source of love. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, this morning, we just want to ask in the name of the Father, in the name of his Son, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, that your anointing will be upon each one that is here in this room, that you would anoint each one who hears this message, that you would anoint each one of us, to take up the sacred and wonderful work of laboring for our friend Jesus, that you would anoint us with the Holy Spirit. No, Lord, we're not satisfied with just a little. We want more. We must have more, more of the Spirit. Enlarge our capacity to receive you, which is to receive love. And then may it just ooze out of us, Lord, to your name's honor and glory. Lord, we don't have what it takes. We don't have the wisdom or the skill to do that which you've called us to do. And you knew that. And you set the bar high because you wanted us to know that that was never your intention, is that we would have what it takes. You're calling us to have the sacred privilege of tabernacling, you tabernacling, tabernacling in us and living out your life in us through the Holy Spirit. And we want to accept this by faith claiming your promise for the strength and the wisdom to do your will. And we thank you for this holy anointing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.